1: Welcome to another edition of the Hang Time Podcast. I'm your host, Sacum Smith, here in Atlanta. Happy New Year. Uh, welcome to 2021. I guess we all survived that beast that was 2020 in, in one piece. Since we're starting a new year, we might as well come fresh out the box. First podcast of the year with my man, Logan Murdoch of The Ringer, formerly of many other places of fame, but most importantly, this man was an intern at Turner Sports at one point. Probably didn't know what we had in our midst at the time. Now he's
0: on doing bigger and
1: better things, of course. Logan, what's up, brother? Happy New Year to you.
0: What's up, man? How you doing, man? It's an honor to be on your show, bro, especially being a, a Turner intern. One of your producers, Sean, he was my intern classmate in 2016. So it was really dope. Just, you know, things just come full circle and it's dope to see it, man.
1: No doubt, man. It's, uh, it's called evolution. You just happen to be running a little faster on the treadmill than some others, man. Congratulations to you. Last night, I'm watching NBA TV and, you know, like I, like I will do at times, I will stand up. I get I get in the mode where I stand up when somebody's cooking. Like, I'm like, oh, man, like, this might be a stand-up game. Like, I might have to stand in front of my TV and watch it like this, you know. At halftime, Steph Curry had 31. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, he's getting ready to go, you know, go nuclear here. How, how wicked could this get? Portland Trailblazers probably felt the same way. When did you know last night that Steph was en route to a historic evening for himself? Even for a guy that's been in the league, you know, 11 plus season, now this is 12th year. He got 62 last night, his highest scoring game ever. And this is from a guy that most people consider the greatest shooter in the history of the game.
0: When I first started seeing him, that this was going to be different. It was in the first quarter when he was going to the rack, he was being much more aggressive. And for a superstar, Steph can be a little passive at times, and I think that Uh, you know, that could be good and bad, but this season they need him to be aggressive. And he was very aggressive from the onset of the the game. I think I knew it was something different was in that third quarter. You know, when he got to 45, I was like, okay, he's really on, he's on a mission right now. It's really surprising that Steph didn't have a 60 point game going into this one. And, uh, but I knew he was going to, he had something up his sleeve. I knew he was going to be more aggressive um, than normal in the first quarter, but probably in the third quarter, I was like, okay, Steph has something A lot of people got him messed up right now.
1: I don't know what the backlash is. I know we've debated it, you know, just as a basketball public over the years, whether or not Steph is really as great as his back-to-back, you know, MVPs or his unanimous MVP, his championships, all that suggests. Far be it from me to to go against the crowd, but I've never felt like there was any doubt about Steph's game-changing ability. Like, nobody has ever stretched the floor in the dimensions consistently that he does. I don't know if it's that Steph is an ordinary human being by, you know, by most people's standards doing extraordinary things that makes him so appealing. And then on the flip side, such an easy target for people's hate. Like, I don't know what that dynamic is. What is it that you've evaluated over the years? What do you think it is that makes Steph so polarizing in terms of you love him or you completely disagree with the idea that Steph is an all time great superstar?
0: Uh, I think it's a, a myriad of things. I think one thing is jealousy. You know, he wasn't, he he beat a lot of uh, players that, you know, he might might not have supposed to have beaten at the time that he beat him. He beat KD, he beat, you know, Dame Lillard, beat James Harden, beat LeBron James at a time when the league was supposed to be the Cavaliers led by LeBron and the Spurs led by Tim Duncan. He interrupted a lot of plans for a lot of people. And, um, and the way that he transformed the game, you know, a lot of people hadn't seen that before. And there's going to be a backlash to that. Um, I think with Steph, there is a bit of an unfair comparison, at least what I've seen over the last week of a comparison to him and LeBron James. And LeBron would have done really well with this roster. And you've know, you seen what he did with the 07 Cavs and things like that. And I think that's a bit unfair to Steph because Steph isn't LeBron James, but he is a really great player. He is a top 10 player and he is a hall of fame level talent, a generational talent, someone that has changed the game. Um, But His team isn't really good, and he's going to need 62 points uh, around that for them to compete on a night-in, night-out level. Um, But he's a really great player, and one of the defining players of this generation, no matter what anyone says.
1: You were around them when they were at their zenith, the Warriors. That atmosphere in Chase Center last night was funny. His teammates were running around the baseline and going crazy. But no crowd, no ambiance like we're used to when Steph had a great performance. Did it change the way you viewed it? Knowing that there's no people in there, there's 40 people in the stands in, in the Chasing
0: might have gave me more respect because it's harder to recreate that energy when there's no fans in the crowd. It's a, pretty much a glorified pickup atmosphere at Chasing uh, when they play, and so it's kind of more impressive the fact that he can, you know, recreate that energy and you know, without a crowd, because, you know, over the years in Oracle and at Chase Center, when Steph goes off, you know, it's a different type of cheer. I always used to joke with uh, people around me when, at the Oracle days, when he would go off, there was a different type of yelling going on. It was a different type of vibe. The, the, the building was a bit different when Steph went off compared to even when Clay or Kevin went off. And, you know, Steph is one of those dudes. So it was weird to have that, but I think it have no fans, but I think it was more impressive the fact that he was able to recreate that energy.
1: Yeah. What's the vibe around this Warriors team? I mean, last year the injuries and everything took its toll. They were on the backside of that amazing run. Everybody kind of knew that it was going to be a struggle. Are people surprised at how uncompetitive they were early on this year in the first few games? Like, did that shock people, you know, that that they're not more competitive than they thought they might be?
0: Well, I think there's a bit of a reckoning this season, right? Because, Of the injuries, um, you know, they thought they were going to have Klay Thompson this year, and they thought they were going to be a power in the Western Conference. And they thought all these things, and rightfully so, but, you know, it didn't work out that way. And I think that now that they're trying to figure out a life post these glory years where they have to reinvent themselves, I think one thing that the the Spurs have on the Warriors and um, even the Bulls is that they were able to reinvent themselves over a long stretch of time. The Warriors may have had the largest peak, one of the largest peaks in NBA history, but they haven't been able to reinvent themselves. And this is the time to do so. And uh, so far, it it hasn't been able to work out. When you talk about uh, injuries, um, you talk about uh, trades that, you know, they were trusting their infrastructure to, you know, revitalize careers in D'Angelo Russell and Andrew Wiggins. And so far, that hasn't happened so far. And um, I think that they're seeing a reckoning right now, and we'll see what happens. But as of right now, Steph is going to have to ball out for them to be um, competitive yeah I do I do like Wiseman by the way I do like the young boy Wiseman is cold man Wiseman is cold
1: you got so much potential you real, you know I know we've buried the big man about seven different times in the last 20 years but you're seven feet tall you can run you can jump and you and you got great hand-eye coordination I'm pretty sure there's a place for you in basketball just just don't spec like you will have a a future in the game if you got those kind of measurables. Where is the league right now? Do you think in the aftermath of a a Warriors dynasty that's come and gone, LeBron is the most durable superstar I can remember in any sport. In terms of from the time he stepped into the league to now to still be at the tip top of his game is remarkable. Uh, but where is the depth of the game? KD was at one point kind of the guy, the next guy to grab that torch. An injury changes the trajectory of his. Ascension, I would say, in terms of being that number one guy, like who's the heir apparent? Do you think for the the perch that LeBron holds
0: in the league? I think it's to be determined, man. You got Luca, you know, you got Trey Young, you got Zion, you got a lot of names that could take that torch. It's TBD, and I don't think LeBron's ready to let it go right now. But I think that the league is in a healthy place. You know, after. The Warriors dynasty, you got a team uh, from outside the country win a championship in the Raptors, and you got the Lakers back on top. I think the league is in a healthy place, but as far as someone taking LeBron's throne or him pa- having to pass it right now, I don't see a clear cut person. You know, you could say Luca, but I don't see a clear cut person right now.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. It's, Luca is kind of the the leader that young brigade of players, you know, you're talking about guys 25 and under in the league. It's just an embarrassment of riches by, you know, by the standards of having guys that are going to become the next wave of superstars. You mentioned Trey, Trey young and, and the Hawks went into this season with a clear motive of trying to move up and to become a factor early on. It looks good. It looked like a team that's going to be a playoff team in the East, whether or not they get to the postseason season make noise is to be determined, but at least they look like, the kind of team you say, all right, they got a superstar potentially in Trey, quality depth, and then young guys that are are on the ascent. Do you feel like the Hawks are one of those teams that has a chance to really step into the void this
0: season? Yeah, I definitely do. Um, I really like Trey Young's game. And I know one thing about Trey is he's really competitive. And I also know that he was not in the bubble. And that really messed with him. You can see that on socials. And he – I think he's really taken that on a lot of folks. And I think if that was a season for a, a team to come out of nowhere. Not to say that the the Hawks weren't brewing for a minute, but for if there was any season for a team to go out of nowhere it'd be this season with the quick turnaround, with teams not really having an identity so far. Even one of the teams like the Nets who they played, they had a back-to-back set with they are still they have the same record as the Warriors right now, right? So I think that if there was any a time for the for the Hawks to get on a stage like this it's right now and Trey Young's playing really great Collins is playing really great That dunk the other night on Allen was crazy <laughs> uh, but I think that they're one of those teams that um, have always been one of those young teams that you should keep your eye on especially with Trey on the roster but I think now with the season and you know in the unprecedented times I think that they could really make a, a mark right now
1: you know it's funny Trey is is the author of a lot of these nights that I call, it's what I call spontaneous brilliance in the NBA. It's one thing that, to me, makes sports in general, but the NBA especially, so appealing. You can be a fan of this game for 30 years, and it's like you can't prepare for the next night when a Steph Curry goes for 62 or right. somebody hits nine threes or just something crazy. And I was thinking about it earlier today. It's like, is that what you think keeps the NBA fresh as much as new faces and new talent? It's just the fact that you never know what night a LeBron James is going to do something preposterous, or somebody is going to do something that that chases headlines. And I think that's a cultural thing, more than just basketball. Like you wake up and somebody be talking about Steph getting sixty-two on Good Morning America. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is that what you think keeps the game fresh in the minds of everybody, not just basketball lovers, but kind of the general public as well?
0: Uh, I think the spontaneity of the game is definitely uh, suited the NBA. Um, in a way that it hasn't suited other sports, especially with the rise of social media, right? Because anytime someone is going off, you know, I can hit say and be like, "Oh, yo, y'all better, you better watch Steph right now." Or okay. um, I can hit Sean Bartley and be like, "Oh, you better check out Steph right now." Um, there, you can really um, do that with, with in this in this climate, and it feels like we're all coming in as a community to root on Steph in sixty-two, or coming in as a community and seeing, "Oh, look what LeBron did," or "Oh, look what Luca did." Um, so the uncertainty and spontaneity the game has been great for it, um, especially with the rise of social media. And the quick turnaround um, with that, is has been great for the game.
1: In the midst of uh, Steph's just going nuclear, Logan, I saw you had a tweet. that <laughs> went viral, went around the world. Talked about y'all slandering Steph Curry into a career high performance. Do you think Steph internalizes some of that even at this stage of his career, even after all he's done? He kind of absorbs that criticism sometimes and takes it out on the court.
0: Definitely. I mean, I think there's a lot of lots to be made about players, you know, reading about themselves a lot and, you know, using that energy, but Steph is one of those guys He reads everything. He reads every text. He reads every tweet. He reads every article. He knows what's being said about him. And I don't think that that's talked about enough, but he internalizes a lot of that stuff and, he's one of the most competitive people that I've ever been around and that the team's ever been around. Um, and so when that happens, Steph's looking like Steph is seeing them tweets or someone around him is seeing them tweets and showing it to him. So um, I wasn't surprised by his response to that, uh, to that slander. Um, so, <laughs> uh, I wasn't surprised at all.
1: Yeah. He catches smoke. I know for everything,
0: like his hair, his, his beard, Hey, I just want to be on the record, though, man. He he deserved all that smoke for his for them braids, dog. Like you know, he deserved every bit of smoke for them braids. Just and and it's not a coincidence that he started balling out and start flourishing when he took them braids out. Just for the record.
1: Good point. He did let the hair breathe and uh, went for sixty-two. So yeah, he just need a lineup now. He just need a lineup now. He's <laughs> straight. Hey, that's another whole podcast, by the way. We we're, we're gonna revisit that one day in the future. Just NBA haircuts: why some have them and why some don't. I would love to get your opinion on that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's good.
1: You got such a unique perspective on it, you know, being plugged into the game, then being plugged into the greater culture around basketball. What's the next curve that we're going around in terms of how this all connects? I know, you know, think about the last year and the rise of the social justice movement and kind of the impact it's had on young players. I think about Jalen Brown, um, Kyrie, some of these younger NBA players who have been huge voices just in terms of using their platform, you know, to further other causes. Like, what's the next frontier, you think, for that intersection of athletes and kind of the empowerment movement? Where does it go from here? Because, you know, we don't hear Black Lives Matter at the end of interviews anymore. And we're not not seeing those outward gestures about that. But
0: it has to evolve, doesn't it, into something next? Yeah, I think especially with this generation, you talk about the social justice movement. It's on everyone involved in the NBA. I don't even want to say it's on the players. It's on everyone involved in the NBA to make sure that that holds true and that and that they are speaking true to their words. Um, it was kind of disappointing to see that the Black Lives Matter was, movement and in the, the insignia wasn't on the court anymore. And, you know, you can make the argument, and I'm not saying that this is what the, you know, the league did, but the optics seem like, well, you know, we've got Black Lives Matter on the court just so we can get Black bodies on the court, you know what I mean, just for the summertime, and it's on... Everyone involved to make sure that that um, you know the memories of Brianna Taylor and, and, and the memories of all these people that have been um, killed by police are still out there, and to keep that voice going. Um, it's on everyone involved. And I think that with this generation, they show that they can do it. I think the biggest thing is just the next curve is just showing that they can sustain this movement because they' got a lot of eyes open, got a lot of people hearing their message. They're probably not going to get at least an outward help from the league in terms of having that logo on the thing, but it's on the league and it's on everyone involved to make sure that that, um, that that social justice movement, you know, stays alive. Who's a team
1: in your mind in the league this year that's poised for the most significant move into that upper
0: echelon? I think Phoenix Suns, man. Phoenix Suns are really good. I, I love their team with uh, Devin Booker. And I love the fact that like, Chris Paul can just go to a team and just make them into a a playoff team and just kind of like get their locker room in order and just make sure the franchise is going. And then he might, he gets traded away. Like, I I don't know. I just, I like that he's the guy that is just the elder statesman and they can just get the team over the top. Imani Williams has done a great job, you know, even in a loss the other night against the Clippers, they were a team that, you know, they still came back fought. They're five and two on the season. I really love them. I really love watching them play. And I think that they're, I don't know if the sky's the limit for them, but they're definitely going to be a team to be reckoned with going into postseason.
1: What's the storyline you're looking at in terms of at least through March that you got to keep an eye on to help you determine what's going to go on this season?
0: I mean, I think this, this is something that we did on one of our um, you know Ringer staff articles is the biggest storyline, I think, and probably the most underrated storyline is COVID. You know, it's, yeah. it's can they get to that point? Can you know, the league has done a great job so far Um, with cases so far, but, you know, it's a long haul, man, and we are at our peak right now. And, you know, there's no, I know there's a vaccine out there, but, you know, Adam Silver said he's not going to skip the line to get it. You know, the league isn't going to skip the line. So that means a lot of due diligence has to be done on a team level, and a league level, um, to make sure that the league gets to March and that players are healthy, because this is a really devastating virus that we're dealing with. And I think that's something that we need to keep an eye on is, how the league can continue to play with, you know, the threat of this virus and um, if they can get to March and you know, that'll be something, you know, to keep an eye on. And that's something I've definitely been keeping an eye on since everyone got out of the bubble. No
1: doubt. No doubt. Logan Murdoch of the ringer joining us here on the hang time podcast. Keep informing, man. Keep educating us, man. Love your work. Obviously love the, the journey, man. We'll, uh, we'll catch up with you again.
0: All right, man. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yes, sir. We appreciate Logan Murdoch
1: from The Ringer joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. And as we do every Monday, we transition into NBA.com's power rankings with my main man, John Schumann. Shu, happy 2021. Um, We made it. So that means you got to shave the beard off now. I mean, you made it. to 2021. You got to get rid of the beard. Get that clean face. We're still dragging
2: some of 2020 with us into uh, 2021,
1: aren't we? I feel you. Power rankings this week. Los Angeles Lakers holding strong in that number one spot. I would imagine it's going to be very difficult for somebody to budge them out of that spot if they they don't have a stretch where they just play horrible. I mean, they're they're the defending champs, and they got two of the best five players on the team in the
2: league. I don't know. I can get an itchy trigger finger every once in a while. I mean, they, they could certainly have been moved down this week. It's just the teams that were hanging around with them last week fell off like Brooklyn, obviously, you know, Indiana, Orlando started hot and they they lost games. So you got to admit, like if there was one team that could put it on cruise control this season, it was the Lakers with the built in excuse that they had the shortest off season ever. But you got to give it to him. I mean, I, I give Frank Vogel a lot of credit. I mean, he got that team last year building, you know, defensive habits early on. And they seem to be doing the same thing again this year. Uh, you know, getting the new guys with the program and 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 not skipping
1: steps. Interesting. The one team we always seem to talk about in L.A. gives way to the, that other team in L.A., man. what What is the deal with the Clippers? I mean, they started out big win on opening night got blown out and we kind of turned our head, you know, and, and and ignored them for a few days. Where are they in their evolution this season?
2: Well, there are three teams that are five and two at the top of the Western Conference. That's the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Phoenix Suns. And the Clippers beat the other two. You know, they beat the the Lakers on opening night. They beat the Suns on Sunday, um, led by 31, almost blew all of a 31 point lead. <laughs> Uh, maybe just because that's the way the season is going, uh, but finally sort of put him away in the in the final minute. One thing is, like, I watch, I mean, you know, there's going to be people that say, yeah, Paul George, show us what you can do in the playoffs, but he's having a fantastic season so far. And and obviously he was at the center of that blowout at the hands of the Mavs because he celebrated Christmas on the 26th, and <laughs> the, you know, they were playing the Mavs on the 27th, and obviously that became an issue, I guess um this dude is averaging 25 points six rebounds five assists shooting 51 percent from the field 49 percent from three and 93 percent from the free throw line and his defense is terrific as as well like you know he's one of the best two-way players in the league and because of what happened in last year's playoffs and because of the you know day late christmas celebration we can sort of take him for granted but you watch him. I mean, he's, he's, he's incredible. I mean, he's, uh, he's become an elite three-point shooter. Um, he makes some really nice passes and some nice like pick and roll passes. His, his actual pass to Nicholas Batum for that dagger last uh, Sunday night against the Suns was a really nice pass. It was a little, like a cross court dart right into the shooting pocket. Yeah. And then defensively that dude, I mean, I don't know if there's anybody in the league better at getting around screens, um, kind of guy that will sink from the weak side and help and then deflect the pass out to his man. Like he's all over the place. And so when I watch him, I I really appreciate how really freaking good he is and um, try to, you know, obviously the playoffs are another story, but right now he's playing fantastically.
1: Yeah, I always have to remind myself how good a shooter he is. Like, um, there are guys who are good three point shooters, there are guys who are good, you know, around the basket, whatever, but like, he's a good shot maker from basically everywhere on the floor. Which and is,
2: he's, and it's, it's not just like catch and shoot stuff off of no, Kawhi Leonard. It's, like he's, yeah, he's shooting some, he's done, he, there was one wicked step back move he had, in the, I think, in the first week of the season that was just ridiculous. Um, yeah, he's, he's shooting at, at, you know, high difficulty shots too.
1: And and let's be honest, he's got a lot to make up for. (laughs) Um, So good for him. You know, good to have the energy coming into this season to play at that level. I think it's going to be really interesting, Shu. I got the first kid MVP ladder is coming up this week. And um, it's going to be interesting how you slot players based on performance this season and not based on trajectory or where they're supposed to be or what the conventional line of thinking was going into the year. Because really, I'm not, I'm not using that as a guide. I'm not using what the expectation was. I'm going to use what these first round of games say.
2: Yeah. Well, how do you take team success into a two this early? Like Nikola Jokic is averaging a triple double and shooting like 60 percent. But the Nuggets are two and four and mostly because they stink when he's off the floor. I kind of wrote this a little bit. It's like, you know, team success matters with the war. It's especially MVP. If the Nuggets – I mean, they're they're not going to have a losing record all year. He's not going to average a triple-double and 60% shooting all year either. But, like, if his team sort of lets him down, like, when he's off the floor, like, that could still affect the guy's chance of getting an MVP because we think of MVPs as being, you know, top two or three teams in the conference.
1: Yeah. Paul George trending up. Who's the team or player you think is trending in the opposite direction of Paul? (laughs) Yeah.
2: Well, how's it not the uh, the Brooklyn Nets after blowing out the Warriors and the Celtics on national TV in their first two games? They've lost four out of five. They lost to Charlotte. They lost to Memphis after Memphis uh, lost John Morant to an ankle injury. They lost to Washington on Sunday. They have defensive issues, rebounding issues, especially. They've given up uh, the league, uh, the most second chance points in the league by a Healthy margin. Um, they have second unit issues. Um, we talked about this. I think you know. Actually, they started staggering the minutes of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, but not like hundred percent. So like they were still starting the second quarters with a full five man second uh, second unit, and that destroyed them against the Wizards on uh, on Sunday. They got crushed in the, at the start of the second quarter. So you know Durant is looks great offensively, um, and he's probably their best defender as well. But Kyrie Irving not a good defender. DeAndre Jordan great rebounder. He's the one guy that will you know uh, get rebounds for them, but not a great sort of uh, defender in space. So that's a problem. And so they got issues, and and you can't overlook them losing Spencer Dinwiddie.
1: So who do you have on your you know on your list as the team to watch this week, first week of 2021, fresh start theoretically? Who's who are you keeping an eye on?
2: I, I remain curious about the Celtics. They've played okay, but they just barely split a series with the uh, two games with the Pistons this week in Detroit, lost the first one, came back from a big deficit, um, and then missed some shots at the end. And then the second game, they needed Jason Tatum's, they needed a three from Jalen Brown, first of all, and then they needed Jason Tatum's game winner to just to get a split with the Pistons, who may or may not be the worst team in the Eastern Conference. So, um, they have serious depth issues. I mean, they basically, without Kemba Walker, have five or six guys who can play, and then, you know, everything falls apart when Tatum especially, or Brown, is off the floor. Jalen Brown has been on fire. Um, he's he's shooting like 78% from mid-range, um, which is ridiculous. But still, they're sort of just scraping by, and they've got some big games this week. They play uh, at Toronto on Monday which is actually at Tampa, and then at Miami on Wednesday. And then they have the Heat again at home on Sunday with a game against the Wizards in between. So they play three games against two teams that they faced in the playoffs last year, two against the Heat and one against the Raptors. So that should be,
1: you know, a good good measuring stick games for, for all those teams, actually. Good time, like I said, to keep an eye on on Boston. Is What do you do? You know, like, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you know you have – money players and those two guys, but to me, everything else around them, it becomes the question of Kimba's injury situation, you know, whether or not he's going to be healthy enough to give you his best at some point this season. We'll see all that mortal. I mean, if you didn't feel like the season was back the first week when you had to blow out games, I felt like it over the weekend shoot. I felt, all right, now the season has really started. Like there's enough meat on the bone now to evaluate some teams, players, see where they fit. I'm interested to see, how teams like the Hawks and the Suns progress from good early starts. The changing of the calendar has fired me up again. Now I'm ready. I'm ready for this season to stretch out and get going. John Schumann from NBA.com join us here on the Hangtime Podcast as he does every Monday talking power rankings. Preach you talk to you brother in the coming days. We want to definitely give a shout out to Logan Murdoch from The Ringer and John Schumann of NBA.com for joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. We will be back later this week with more information more opinions and everything for you. We'll see you next time.